0: From Bossier City, Louisiana, this is the Grouch and the Brainstorm. Welcome back. This is Mike from Bossier City. I'm here today with, I got Jill. Hey. I got Matt. Hey, hey. And as a uh, added bonus today, and this is a bonus episode, which we have come to love, we have Lisa.
1: Hey, everybody.
0: And today is a very special day for Lisa. She is celebrating one year of recovery.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you.
0: So I think, I think we have a button for that.
1: Oh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah.
1: The crowd goes
0: crazy. The crowd goes wild. Yeah. You know? it's LSU game, oh. LSU baseball. Oh, man.
1: All yeah. about that.
0: Yeah, and Lisa's uh, one-year recovery date. And I think we're going to celebrate tomorrow. Is that correct?
1: That is correct.
0: So I have a uh, couple announcements I want to make before we get rolling on with Lisa's story. And I'm going to start making announcements at the beginning of the show for all the listeners um, in case they uh, in case they want to interact with the show. So uh, we do have an email address that uh, me and the uh, co-hosts, have access to and that is G and at gmail.com if anybody wants to email us in some questions or interact say anything good bad it, it you know it's it's whatever you want to do we will respond to your emails you know as, pro- as long as we keep them appropriate and respectful um, we have a voicemail the telephone number on that voicemail is 985 377 4816 And you can feel free to leave a voicemail. That phone will not be answered. It is strictly for voicemails. And uh, we're working on a live stream date where we can uh, do a live show with some guests and all the co-hosts. And just a a really good time. Probably going to last for about an hour. But on this live stream show, you'll also be able to call in and ask us questions or give your input, which we're always looking for. And then you know some very special thoughts and prayers going out today for um a couple of my uh couple of my friends i'm not going to mention them by name but uh i i i managed to work them into my prayers every day and they're members of this family and members of my other family as well my uh my work family so thoughts going out for that and um with that we're going to bring in lisa and lisa is going to tell us a little bit about what she's done in the past year so go ahead lisa hit it
1: well i'm lisa and my sobriety date is june the 25th of 22 and i'm <laughs> super super excited about that i mean but it's really a truly a miracle in my life and that is so true i said that i hope i could get through this without crying um because i've been reflecting a lot for the last couple of days and a year ago today i was in ccc and I'd never been in jail before in my life. And so I landed there, and um, it was not underneath good circumstances. And yesterday I got this letter in the mail, and it was from the hospital. And it said six fourteen twenty two. 22 And I thought, when the hell did I go to the hospital? And I remember that I was laying on that gurney. And um, I had OD'd on fentanyl. Mm. Mm. And um, my blood pressure was at 60. And they couldn't find a vein, of course, because I didn't have any veins left. And just a little bit about myself, I never would have thought in a million years that I would have ever shot up anything. I hated that. I hated people that did that. And I was very judgmental towards people that did that. But for a little bit of my background, I got to Alcoholics Anonymous in 1988. And I got here um, really to get the monkey off my back. And I didn't want to get in trouble. And I was married. And I had a child. And... um, They did an intervention on me and said, you need to go, and so I went, and um, for some reason, I stayed, and I became a very great member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I loved it, and I got sober in Tyler, Texas, and I found some really good people, and some of those people are still in my life today. Um, I had a sponsor that was got sober in 1975, and he um, is still sober today. He's 96 years old. He has cancer, <laughs> and the man still gets up and makes well, it three meetings a day. Wow. Well, Here in town? In Tyler. Oh, in Tyler,
3: okay. Yeah, and so, you, have a, you have a male sponsor, right? I do. Okay.
1: I do, And and listen, I don't recommend that for a lot of people. I'm not trying to say what's right or wrong, but here's the deal. I'm going to give you a little bit of background about that. What happened was is that when I first got there, I got this lady sponsor, and I loved her. Her name's Karen. And she's in Mississippi now, and we talk every single day. She called mm. me this morning. So um, she had about three years of sobriety, and we went through the steps and stuff, and I loved her, and she had what I wanted. You know, she had a family, she had children. she uh, was pretty religious, which religion is not part of our makeup. And so at three years sober, things changed for me. Um, I was doing great. But something was just not okay. And if you can't live in your own skin, then you're just not going to make it. I mean, if you keep living alive, you, something, you, you're going to drink. And so I um, had to be real with my own self, so I came out gay. And in 1989, that was not a pretty picture because you're not treated the way you were. And listen, I don't I don't voice that in Alcoholics Anonymous because it has nothing to do with my drinking, but it's part of my life and it's part of my history. And um, so with that being said, I had a mother that knew everybody because Tyler was not that big and she came and wrote on my business wednesdays, find a queer, go to AA. She actually came up into Alcoholics Anonymous after me. Wow. She hated AA. Your mother? My mother. Wow. I had to have my mother arrested. I lost everything I had in twenty four hours. Wow. So, if you hear me, April the 25th, 1988 was my sobriety date, okay? So, I was getting a divorce, and my divorce date was April the 25th of 1990. (laughs) 24 hours before my divorce was to be final, my mother, I had my sister-in-law come and clean my house, and um, she found a letter from my girlfriend, and my mother presented to call my ex-husband and tell him, so I had to watch... My children driving down the street in my car, losing my job, losing everything I had, and giving it all back. And so up there I sit. And somehow I did not drink. I didn't Mm. want to drink, you know. Mm. Alcoholics and I'm going to save my life. And there was probably about six or seven people that really held me up. Because I can't tell you there weren't days that I didn't run up my stairs and I'd get in the bed and just put the cover over my head. Because I didn't know what to do. Because I had to be with my children because my ex-husband worked nights. And so they were just mine. So, with that being said, they put a restraining order against me, and I could not see my children. And my daughter was one. And probably about my six-year in sobriety, she uh, said, I love you, Mommy. And I thought, you've never said it like that. And she said, well, I just realized that you were my mommy. About how old was she? She was five. Okay. And they had told her that I was dead. They told both my children. Oh, gosh. And so, I would go to my son's baseball game, and they would holler out queer I mean, it was horrible. And That's I made it through that shit. You hear me? And nobody had ever uh, had, a. there was not any attorneys that had never dealt with that except for one. So we worked our ass off and people in alcoholics saved my life. There was some man, alcoholics Anonymous, almost gave me a car to drive because I didn't have anything. <laughs> there were uh, men that really walked that walk with me. And I used to go to a 12 and 12 study on Tuesdays and Thursday. And there was a guy there named Hal. And there was a guy there named Durrell. And Daryl. Was in freaking prison, like in Columbia, couldn't get out.
0: Oh, down south,
3: Columbia, not Columbia, Mississippi.
1: No, like Columbia. (laughs) Columbia,
3: Pablo Escobar, Columbia. He was never
1: (laughs) to get out. And you know, uh, Daryl got this man out. He got him out. And um, Daryl ended up losing his job, but he was um, the attorney general for the United States. And he lost his job because he was drunk. Wow. But he got him out, and so those men put this group together, and it was the best twelve and twelve and big book study I'd ever been to, and we went all the time. And those people saved my life, and there was uh, several other people that just saved me. I mean, because I just don't know how I could have made it through it, and so I went through all those things, and then, you know, something happens. Um, I think to my innermost core, I just didn't really. I wasn't sure I was an alcoholic. I knew my life was unmanageable, but was I really an alcoholic? Mm-hmm. I mean, come on! I really didn't drink that much. I'd drink and then I'd start doing drugs. But what hmm. I realized is that when I drink, I would start doing drugs. It always led to mm-hmm. that point because there wasn't enough alcohol. I couldn't drink enough, and I loved white liquor. I don't care what it is. Give me a fifth, and it was it was history.
0: Clear, clear liquor.
1: Clear liquor. Yeah. As long as it's clear, I don't. Oh, not I'm care. I'm
0: I'm right there with you. Yeah. You
1: know, uh, eventually I found uh, gin. God help us all. That was the worst.
0: Pretty rough. It was mm. rough. Yeah, gin's tough.
1: It was a tough one. I did not really, I didn't care for it, but I loved the way it made me feel.
0: Tastes like pine needles. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I, I would drink the shit out of it. Pass out, didn't matter. I became part of Mudbug Madness Festival, and it was a great time to drink. Because, bitch, we'd said some drink it, you understand me? Right. <laughs> I mean, you drink and head crawfish. But it was a great thing. But, you know, whenever – I want to tell you this. Here's the deal. Whenever I decided to leave Alcoholics Anonymous at seven years, and I uh, was on the freaking board. I worked at Central Service Office. They actually flew me to, like, Kansas City, Missouri to do a speaker talk. I mean, I was involved with the convention. I did all those things. But then something happened, and I had, like, ten people I sponsored. Still had that same sponsor. But something changed in me. First off, I wasn't going to places I should be going. And I don't care how long you got sober. Eventually, if you go and hang out at the wrong place, things are going to happen. So I met this person, and um, obviously they were an alcoholic, and they would tell you today that they thought, "Mm, she's going to fix me. No, Mm. you're going to fix me. And so um, she just kept saying that she just wanted to, do a little cocaine with me and i said no you don't really want to do cocaine with me because uh, i don't handle that very well but i should have known something you know because i wanted to kiss her because i love the taste and the smell of that alcohol
3: mm. wow
1: that's god's honest truth yeah and then you know i wanted her to drink because then i could have i could i could get a little bit of that from you by right. osmosis and so uh Things just kept getting hairier, and um, I had opened up a 17-station salon, and all of, remember I'd gotten fired, and my mother knew everybody. And then, at this point, at seven years, I'd opened up a hair salon. All My mother was working for me. Every hairstylist that ever taught me anything was working for me, and I fucking walked off. I got a U-Haul trailer and drove across the state boards, drove across, came to Louisiana. But I was doing, um, I'd already gotten messed up. I decided that I was going to drink me a Zima because it looked Mm. so pretty. Zima. When was this? 1990. Okay, so that had been in 95. (laughs) You can date it
3: by the Zima. (laughs) Zima
0: was starting to phase out by 95,
1: wasn't it? No. It it, it just really pretty much came on like the year before. It didn't last long, like a couple of years. But just the look of it, I thought, man, I wonder what that damn Zima tastes like. You know, and so I um, stopped at the nearest store. First off, she said, don't you think you should call your sponsor? And I said, sure. So I picked up my phone. I called my sponsor that's been sober since 1975. And I said, so I think I'm going to stop, stop at the nearest bar and try some controlled drinking. And he said, let me know how that goes for you. <laughs> and she said, what are you saying? I said, let me know how that goes for you. And you know that man never stopped talking to me. In all these 20-something years, any time that I ever picked up the phone and called him, any time I ever needed him, he was there for me. So to me, he is the epitome of what Alcoholics Anonymous is. He never judged me. He never, um, you know, said, you're just no use. He just kept holding on. And he loved me. And he was somebody that really my father had gotten killed when I was six months old. And he was the first man I ever trusted, you know. And that was a big deal to me. You know, and you have a lot of things that you go through. And when I first got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I freaking hated men. And I love you guys today. But then I freaking hated you because I thought you were the epitome of hell. (laughs) And so I had to walk through a lot. And I got a counselor, and um, I stayed with them for seven years. And I worked through a lot of things. And it took Alcoholics Anonymous, and it took her to get me to where I was at. And then I was this strong person. Believe it or not, me sitting here talking, because I can talk your head off. At one point, I couldn't talk to nobody. And I was a hairstylist. And I almost got fired because I wouldn't talk. And I thought, hell, how am I going to do that? That's when methamphetamines came
0: upon Oh, yeah.
1: Chatty Give me a little bit of damn methamphetamines, and I could rock that world.
0: Well, just FYI, I would have loved a hairstylist that didn't talk. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> I just A tattoo artist, a hairstylist, and an Uber driver <laughs> don't that don't get, like, talk shut your mouth. right down my alley. <laughs>
1: right. You know, but back then, you know, these and so it wasn't too long. She said, you're fine. Just go back to talking. And I said, okay. And I became a top hairstylist. I mean, they gave me awards. They flew me everywhere. But, you know, it was just that alcohol and drugs was my solution to everything. I mean, it really was my solution. I thought I had found God, actually. I mean, my God. I could talk to people. I could stand up to you. I could bitch at you. I could do a lot of things to you. I could lie to you. I could steal from you. I could do a lot of things. But that first time around, I never got that far. You know, I just, uh, things just started falling apart. But this time, you know, I took that one drink and I thought, wow, look at me. Isn't it grand that the wind stopped blowing? Yeah. (laughs) Ain't nothing going on here. I did good. I'm proud of myself. I'm not really an alcoholic. So I went with that and I fell asleep on the way over here. And then I... Came to, of course, and then, of course, we tried some cocaine, and we tried some methamphetamines. And I'd said I would never do methamphetamines again, but by God, there I was. And I made myself quit. So, see, you can do things. I mean, just because you're an alcoholic, you know, you'll hear some stories that, like, once you pick up drink, you'll never stop drinking. Well, that's just not my story. My story is, is that I could... Stopped drinking long enough to take my kids to the show. I had a home. I built a home, had a job. I was top stylist doing all these things. But underneath it, there was always something missing. And so eventually, um, I left that alcoholic, you know, and I was I was happy with that alcoholic because I could always look at you and say, you're worse than I am. Mm. I mean, look at you. Who the hell are you? I'm not like you. I have a head full of AA, and I know how to do this, and you don't. And then eventually you start forgetting that. And I tried to come. I'd go to Highland. I'd go to Koala. And I'd sit in there and somebody pissed me off or say the wrong thing. And I was just looking for an excuse. The most I ever got was like 30 days, you know. And then finally I uh, just said, fuck it. I mean, I'm just not going to make it back there. And then something happened. Circumstances happened in your life. And um, I had kind of gotten to a place to where I was partying a little bit too much and my daughter was trying to talk to my mother and you know things are happening so my kids and my mother quit talking to me and um i had two bad wrecks i'd hit a city bus for god's sakes and they sued me wow in a, in a 2019 dodge charger and i just wrecked my car the week before so then i go and hit a Do- i hit a city bus things were not okay And so um, nobody wanted to really talk to me. I remember my mother saying, you're on drugs. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm a drug dealer, and I'm good at it. (laughs) Stupid shit. And so um, we just quit talking. And when my grandson got taken away from me, it kind of felt like I did in 1990, whenever my son got taken away from me, and he was about the same age. And, man, that did something to me inside. I just said, fuck this. Fuck it. I'm going to do it all. So I'll never forget going over there and saying, either you're going to shoot me or I'm going to shoot me. But somebody's going to shoot me today. And so I don't blame anybody for anything I did because I was going to do it whether you helped me or not. I was going to do it. You yeah. hear me? It just didn't matter. Thank God somebody was there to help me because I'd probably hurt myself. But it got really bad really quick, and I started doing things I'd never done. I started stealing, I could walk in, listen, I I don't even like sitting beside Mike because he walks at work, works at Walmart, and I'm afraid someday they're gonna come here and get me because shit, I have taken so much from Walmart. But it was across the street, so it was easy, you know. I even took one of those little golf cart things one day because they left him out there. I said, I'll just ride this bitch home. <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> Seen that happen. Yeah. I had lots The of, handicapped
3: ones? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. I That's...
1: mean, we were riding that bitch. It said it's had six hours. I said, we have got to go. Let's get out. I mean, it was just insane. But, you know, you would do crazy things, things that you just never thought that you would do. And you would get mixed up with people that you just never thought you'd get mixed up with. And I was doing things that I didn't want to do. And I would find myself in situations, and I'd think, and I really thought I was going to die one night. I mean, I, I, I ran around with some bad people, and I was not shooting drugs at the time. And I was told not to be around that person. And I remember sitting there, and I know that was God's grace helping me that day because I knew that I was not supposed to be there. And that person got out of my car, and he had three phones, and I picked it up, and it said, this is not working out the way we want it to. And I said, I'm out, and I drove off. Did I quit running around with those people? Absolutely not, because they had what I wanted. So um, you can go down any path. Anyway, I decided I was going to try and fix myself about six months before I got here. And so me and this person had not been together for about two years. And my daughter went to them and talked to them. And so she uh, called me, and I said, I'll go home. It'll fix me. That's what I'll do. So I went home. That didn't work out, so I went to my mother's, and I stayed for about three months. My mother loved me and wanted to do anything for me. She gave me a car, gave me credit cards, gave me $100 bills every day, and it didn't make a damn because I would lie to her and I would drive to Shreveport and I'd place... She said I took 40000 I probably took more than that. Who knows? And that's a shame. So those are things that I have to live with and I have to make amends for. I don't have to beat myself up for that today, and that's what's a miracle. But I... Um, It's a wonder I didn't kill somebody or somebody didn't kill me. But then whenever I landed in that jail, see, I had been begging, and I kept saying, please help me not to do this anymore. I mean, I just want you to come and help me. And I kept saying, man, we got to stop this. we got to stop this. It's not going to be okay. All my stuff ended up on Highway 80. I ended up on that gurney, and five days later I had to go to court. And when I went in there... I had dressed like I would never dressed before, and I'm sure she knew something was wrong with me, and she said, can you pass the P-test? And I said, sure, which was a lie. And I failed that P-test, and so I went to jail. And uh, I knew when I got there, this was it. And so whenever I talked to my friend, I said, this is what I need you to do. I need you to call Art, because that's my sponsor. And I said, you need to find out if he's still alive. And if he's still alive, you tell him that I made it back. And those were the best words I'd ever said. And I knew that I had made it back. And so, you know, here I am. And I'm i am not a dumbass woman. I'm kind of smart. And I know how to read. And I still knew all the, I could still say the preamble, how it works. I could do, I knew the first 164 pages. I mean, I knew where to point out to find what I needed. But self-knowledge availed me nothing. I was still a drunk and I was still an alcoholic and I was still a drug addict. So when I got to that treatment center, it was kind of hard because they wanted to put me on a pedestal because I knew all this information. So, how hey, you got this. And I, I literally had to turn and say, listen, I'm here because I really need to be here. And whether you know it or not, I need you. And it was probably one of the best places that I'd ever been to because the first one was really high, mighty, and classy. This one had holes in the wall, but I didn't care. And so... Um, I sit there and I took everything that they had to say in and I became a yes girl. You know, uh, yes, whatever you want me to do, if you want me to shovel shit I'd have shoveled shit because <laughs> I was sick and tired and my life was over. And when I called my mother from that dang treatment center, she goes, are you doing drugs? And I said, I'm in a fucking treatment center, <laughs> she said, well, you don't need to do drugs. And I said, I'm not, I'm in a treatment center. But, you know, she had every right to be that way with me. I wasn't mad at her. And then my birthday was on August 11th, and I'd been there for about two weeks. And when I called her, there was a different tone in her voice. And she said, hey, how are you? And I said, I'm good. And I knew. And um, I didn't, I knew, listen, if I got what I deserved, I wouldn't be sitting at this table with y'all. I promise you that. Amen. I'd be somewhere else. You hear me? Yeah. So I get all those things, and I tell you what happened is that I surrendered my ass off. I surrendered, and I became willing to be willing, and I became as rigorously honest as I can be because this is my first year of sobriety, so if you think I've just been hunky-dory in St. Mary and I've been honest with everything, you're full of shit (laughs) because if anybody else has done that, good for you. But that's not what happened to me. I have to hurt a little bit, and I have to make sure, but I know. I know that there's things that I cannot do or I will surely get drunk again. So I don't do those things, but then sometimes it just kind of hits me a little bit. you sure you don't want to do that? you sure you don't want to talk to that person? you sure you don't want to go over here? Surely you can go help them. Thank God that I had those seven years of sobriety to lean back on because I know that that's not something I can do. I can't go hang out at a bar. I can't go and uh, save your ass. Now, if you call me, I will come pick you up anywhere and I will take you somewhere. As well as Matt knows this morning, there was a guy that he was out on the streets with me and here he was. And he's called me several times over the year, you know, asking me for two or three dollars. I said, I don't loan money in Alcoholics Anonymous. My sponsor taught me that. And so I don't loan money. If I give you something, I just give it to you because I can't afford the resentment like a normal person. So there's certain things, there's certain guidelines I got to live by. And so I, uh, said, no, you can't have no damn money. But whenever they called me and they asked me for a ride and said that they had been to Kata and that they had 30 days of sobriety and they needed a ride to a meeting, I said, I will be there. And by God, I took the time out and I went and picked him up on Friday, took him to a meeting. And then this morning I picked him up and then I called another friend, an alcoholic, and said, are you going to be at that 9 o'clock meeting because I'm going to drop him off and can you take him back because it's a good man. And here's the deal, I'm not here to help, I, I can't fix my son. And I love my son, and my son was beat so bad in March. So you realize I went to jail in June. In March, he uh, was beat so bad and left for dead, and he had brain surgery. And I know that he has a drug problem, but I'm not here to tell you that you're a drug addict or an alcoholic. I can only tell you that this is what's happened for me. And so the only way that I could do that is if I really believed God was that big, I had to let it go, and it was a hard thing to do. Yes, it is. I mean, how many times have I let you go? You know, he can blame me for the failure that I left him when I was three. He can blame me for these things, but the bottom line is, is you're responsible for your own self, what you do. And once I finally realized that, man, life became better. I have been happy, joyous, and free pretty much this year. And there's been a lot of things that have not been okay. You know, I love what someone says. You know they don't like everything that's happening in their life, but they love their life, and that's me. I don't like everything, but I love my life.
2: Yeah. Well, tell me something. Have you um, been able to repair the relationship with your son?
1: Me and my son are just now talking. He actually sent me a um, happy Mother's Day, which is a miracle. Yeah. Because we left him in the Fairmont downtown. And I left him there with nothing, and, you know, he kept calling us and wanting us to do something, me and my daughter, and he thought that I came home, so I took his place, so that pissed him off, you know. Mm-hmm. And he screamed at me and told me that I had no right to tell him anything, and I said, you're probably right, I don't, but I'm going to love you anyway. And so now he's in Texas with his father, and, you know, he may never get sober, but that's none of my business. Right. It's really not—I've always believed that my children are just a gift— I mean, I had them to raise them for 18 years. Um, I tell you, one of the biggest miracles, Jill, that happened was me and my daughter was sitting on the couch the other day, and her youngest son had went off for two weeks with his dad, and she had never been away from him, and she was sitting there, and she goes, Mom, I don't know how you did it, and I said, it was tough. It was really tough. I said, but, you know, I hate that you had to feel this way. I said, but... I made it through it, and I said I was sober at the time. So little miracles like that really mean a lot to me. Um, My mother may come here tomorrow to see me get my chip at 530. Remember, she was the woman that came up into AA and hated AA. Yes. Um, Is that not a miracle? Yes. She's in Tyler now. She's in Tyler. She's 75 and still drives 95. Well... (laughs) My hats off to your mother. I'm I'm telling you, she 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 is a go getter. She still works. You know, she just won't she won't she lost her husband about two years ago, and he's a good man. Um, so she's okay. You know, uh, I love my mother. My mother has done nothing except been my mother and my dad all put together. And my mother, I, I was not a planned person. You have to understand that she was only 16 when she had me, and so she has a lot of guilt, and here's my deal about that, is that quit blaming yourself.
3: Mm -hmm. If
1: you hadn't have left and you hadn't have done these things, I wouldn't know that there was a way out. So everybody teaches me something. Every meeting teaches me something, good or bad. But if you're new at Alcoholics Anonymous, you just need to hang on for your ass and don't let anybody get to you Um, because there's people that's going to say something that you ain't going to like. You know, uh, you ain't got the right this. You ain't doing this right. Anytime I start hearing you, I usually kind of tune them out because that preamble plainly states that I'm only here to share my experience, strength, and hope. Yep. And I would tell you, the other night I was laying in bed and I watched this documentary, and I've watched a lot of stuff about alcoholics Anonymous over the years. But this was a documentary, and it had... Just Bill and Lois. I mean, the true Bill. It wasn't a fake one. It was right, Bill. and it had him going through all this. And you know, the first time that he came, he really came because his life was just uh, out of, out of craziness, and he thought self knowledge would keep him sober. Yeah, and he tried, and he uh, signed a contract with these people because they wanted to be a part. But if he drank, that they just he would he would lose all of his
0: Nolan stock. Boyd.
1: Yeah. And so he's sitting there, and he sits there for a couple hours, and I thought about myself because, listen, about six months ago, I saw this thing on TV, and it said, rabbit hole whiskey. And I said, motherfucker, I want some rabbit hole whiskey. I've never heard of that shit. And when I was watching Bill, he said, what's that y'all drinking? Apple whiskey. I've never had apple whiskey, (laughs) but I'm not going to drink it. And lo and behold, about two hours into it, he said, I'll have an apple whiskey.
3: Her he mind says, "Yeah, I've always liked apples." You yeah. know, that's right. And I'm so like, you
1: end up doing it. I like
3: apples. Yeah, I like pickles. I like <laughs> hot dogs, but I don't, <laughs> don't like a pickle dog. <laughs> hot dog whiskey—that sounds horrible.
1: Anything. Ew.
3: <laughs> sorry, like sorry. Master. I
1: never understood why anybody would drink that. It tastes like cough syrup, but whatever. It's pretty
3: rough. Yeah. Uh,
1: I don't get it. What I mean. tastes like cough syrup? Jaeger yeah, master. Yeah,
3: oh, Jaeger. Yeah,
1: yeah. I just. Mm-mm. No. I mean, now, I would have drank it if it was the only thing. Bet your ass I would have drank it and said, "Woohoo, love this scope, whatever. But, you know, it is what it is. But anyway, when I was watching that, the biggest thing was it just made me tear up because, you know, here's this man that didn't know what he was going to do, and Dr. Bob and Dr. Silkworth saved our lives because those people were being locked up. They were getting, um, they would have brain surgery they would take lobotomies the front, yes they would take the front part of their freaking brain out so to help them from. I mean these people were just alcoholics but they were treated horrible and locked up mm. and then finally we have Bill you know and I love Ebby I do always I always admired Ebby. I liked him and I hate that he killed himself He found religion, but sometimes religion is just not going to work for us. we got to find something different, and that's what I love about Alcoholics Anonymous is it gives us all the way out because I don't care if you're a Buddhist. I don't care if it's a tree. I don't care if it's you, Mm -hmm. but find something that's going to help you, and that group can help you. You know, at first, when I first, very first, got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I knew that there was a God, but I didn't really care for him. I just didn't like him. I thought he was a piece of shit pretty much. He had baptized my uncle, and then I went down to get baptized, and he said, no, I wasn't ready. And I said, well, obviously God hates me, so I'm pretty sure I was not have a good contract with him. So um, it really did have a hard, hardness on me. But over the years, in those seven years, you taught me about forgiveness. I had forgiven my uncle that had molested me for all those years. I could stand in a room with him, and he never spoke to my children all the time they were growing up. Now, he ended up pretty much killing my grandmother, Mm. and he died. And then I found a lot of information. And what am I going to do with that information? Am I going to let it eat my soul, or am I going to let it go and move on? And so I moved on. I am uh, a byproduct of Alcoholics Anonymous. Anything that I say or do is truly a byproduct. I've stole it from you. I have um, learned it from you. I have read those books, and I'm not special in any form or fashion. I am just I just want to be one among many, and I just want to grow. And this has been a miracle year. You know, they say that it's, it's a miracle, and it is a miracle. And it was kind of still tough because I still knew a lot about Alcoholics Anonymous. And, of course, a lot of people, when I first got here, was like, you don't need a man sponsor. You need a woman sponsor. You know what? I just need somebody I could trust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That man knew me. That man loved me. And I was, by God, going to use him. And then I come to find out, you know, James that does the recordings at the Tri-State Convention. Mm-hmm, back yeah. Up. So I go to my first Tri-State Convention, and um, they say, James is back there selling CDs. And I said, damn. James was married to Karen, my woman sponsor. So I had known him, and he had recorded me a lot of times. So I walked back there, and I said, hey, James. And he goes, Hey. So he gave me Karen's number, and I got in touch with her. So I have this network of people that love me. Now, I've had to make friends here, and I didn't believe that Shreveport and Bozier could keep me sober because y'all just weren't as good as Tyler.
0: Yeah, Tyler <laughs> is a little up there.
1: Irrelevant. <laughs> you Spend people, some time in You people are just <laughs> the same. The Brazilian They're, Steakhouse is. <laughs> yes.
3: Yeah, we're already bragging on some food y'all have <laughs> over there we don't have here. So
1: Well, we can all just go over there, wouldn't we?
3: Yeah, I'm I mean,
1: you. I love I love going to Alpha there still, and I see people that I haven't seen in years that, you know, they've known me. So that's a good thing because you need somebody to get to know you. for, for Is that real. your
3: group over there, by the way? It is. Okay. It's called yeah. the Alpha Group?
1: Yes. I mean, I got really sober and stayed sober for a long time at Lake Street, but Lake Street just got mowed down, you know, and um, Don— Fenton, he is dead now, so I can say his name. He was in Alcoholics Anonymous, and he was the one that gave me a job when nobody else would give me a job. And he died in Alcoholics Anonymous. And Patty just died about two weeks ago, and she was an amazing woman. And she loved him, and they stayed married all those years.
0: All these folks up in years. Up in years.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, and I ran around with a lot of old sobriety. You know, back then in the 80s, dude, you uh, went on a lot of 12-step calls. I mean, you would get in the car, and all of you would go to speaker meeting somewhere. I mean, you were on the road, and I loved it. But I learned to hang out with the winners. And it doesn't mean that just you're here and you're two days sober and you're not a winner because you're a winner because you're in the room. But my problem is is i got to have people to have something that I need because if you're not giving it to me, then I can't give it to that one-day person. So I have to remember that, that whatever I have, I have to give away and it works that way. And anytime I start thinking in my head and I start telling you what I'm thinking, but well, that's just stupid because it's probably irrelevant and it ain't gonna make no sense. I, but when I talk from my heart, it does. I figured Absolutely. out that
3: I want to be the worst person in my group. Dude. When I look around, I'm like, I want to be the the least. Uh, I don't know how to describe that the right way, but but I don't want to look around and go, I'm the shining star in this group then I'm in trouble. That's how okay. I was in rehab. Every time I would go to rehab, I wanted to be the, the best student that they had there. But I want to be around people, like you said, be around the winners and be around people that are doing what I've done and have done it before me, uh, you know, um, and not even sobriety-wise, but just in life in general, you know. I don't want to hang around with uh, people I used to hang around with, you know, and because and, uh, you're going to go wherever your group is, That's right. you know, whichever way they're going. So You will. Um, so we, we have new people listen to this and this kind of what this is designed for you today is one year.
1: Yeah.
3: What has been some advice you would give somebody with that first year? I was just in a meeting last night, talking to some people in a treatment center. We were talking about this. Exactly. That first year is really a great foundation, but you have to get to that point. And there's no blueprint that just says, in two weeks, you're going to feel great in a month. You're going to, you know, there's no checklist. Um, it's just, uh, Mr. Joe B told me you just hang on for the ride. That's what he told me the first year you hang on for the ride, whatever that takes. So what, what would you say to people out there? And also did you have struggles the first year Uh, um what were some things you did to because you made it to the first year so what were some things when you did struggle what did you do to alleviate that
1: so first off whenever i left that treatment center i think it's very important for me and for anybody is to know where you're going i mean if i didn't know where my first meeting was going to be i mean like when i got home off that off that bus i I said i got to go to a meeting or i won't go i knew that so i said uh and I didn't have a car, you know, I didn't have nothing. So my daughter would take and drop me off and pick me up. And so I went to Koala, and no matter how I felt, I sit there. And I knew I was going there every, every day at 9 o'clock. And then I went and looked for Jim at Highland because that man made me so damn mad, and I hated him for so long. But I knew he had something I wanted. I knew it. So I, I said, I want to go to the 7.30. So I'd go to the 7.30, the 9 o'clock, and the 5.30. And something happened. You know, I knew that that was what I was going to be doing. And um, thank God, I mean, I started asking for um, numbers, you know, and I would just call you. I mean, Matt, you were one of the ones that really helped me with my 14-year-old grandson, you know. I mean, he was going through a hard time, and you just reached out, and you were there. And I will never forget that. There's things, in. I always tell people, you're going to be a part of my story, and that's real true. Because, see, I still have uh, something holding over my head. I still have um, a drug charge that's over my head. And I went and did everything they told me to do. And then when I went to court, I had an attorney that had flip-flops on, and I thought, shit, I'm in trouble. <laughs> and so when we got through this, offered me a felony and two years drug court, and I said, that's not what you offered me, and I've done what you told me to do. You know, and so that, here's the thing. When I left that meeting, this was my thought. Either I can get drunk or I can get high or I can have a cheeseburger. I chose the cheeseburger. Good choice. I would, too. Good choice. Yeah, Yeah, I chose
3: it. Chances are you would have ended up with the cheeseburger anyway.
1: Maybe so. And and by the the way, you
3: might be an alcoholic if your lawyer wears A, flip-flops, or B, Crocs. If he shows up with Crocs, I'm out. I'm out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Public defender. Yeah, so,
1: um, but here's the miracle. So this is where I'm going to tell you how it works. Okay, so here I am. I'm just devastated. I don't know what I'm going to do, and I've left that meeting, but what I've done prior to that... That is I went every day to a meeting. I went to those three meetings, come hell or high water. And believe me, there were some people in there. I said, I don't like your ass. I'm never coming back. And I have kind of a loud mouth. So whenever I talk, I kind of can say things that maybe I shouldn't say, but I do. So uh, then I have to make amends for them or whatever. So, um, you know, I knew that certain people didn't want me to say a man sponsor. So I'd make damn sure that I was Lisa and I'm an alcoholic and my sponsor is a man eat that shit (laughs) don't care if you like it so you know and so I came to meetings sometimes because I just wanted to piss you off and then I came to meetings and lo and behold just what my sponsor said to me you need to pray for that person and listen don't quit listening to them because they're going to say something then you need bitch if she wasn't right I sat in a meeting, and she said something. I said, damn, I need that. Stay behind the line. I was like, screw staying behind the line. But I needed it. And see, I didn't want to be miserable. Because if I'm miserable, if you get miserable, if you get unhappy long enough, what's going to happen? I'm going to mm-hmm. drink. I mean, listen, I'm not here. If I'm going to be miserable, I'm going to be drunk miserable. I ain't going to be sober miserable. So i got to find what's going to work. And so I knew those steps worked. I knew and listen, you can ask anybody. If I go and ask all three of y'all how to handle situation, you're all three going to give me a different answer, and I'm going to choose the one that's closest to whatever the hell I'm wanting to hear. So that's where your sponsor comes in. And if you get a sponsor you don't like them, fire them. Shit. There's no – we didn't sign some kind of contract. <laughs> and so I uh, listen to people, and I everybody's my sponsor pretty much. I mean, not like literally, but my God, when I – The other day when I was sitting there, Mike, and that meeting was going on, and you opened up, and I said, that's what I needed to hear. You know, I mean, there's sometimes some people say something, and I'm like, we're back on course. Because that's what I love about alcoholics. I need a solution. I know what the problem was. I know what I did out there. I know what you pretty much did out there. We all did the same shit. What I want to know is how did you get through that the same way Mm -hmm. I did? So when I left there, I went to my doctor's office, okay, after I left that court and got that cheeseburger, and I was in tears. And I am broke. I have no money. I have no car. I have nothing. I'm staying at my daughter's. And I have, like, three months of sobriety, and I was expecting for it to be over. So I watched my expectations. you got to lower them and just hope for the best. And if I believe in God, then I believe in God. So I believed it. So I left there, and I went to my doctor's office. And when I was sitting there, I picked up this magazine. It had four attorneys on there, and I said— wish one of those could be my attorney so i left and i talked to my mother and said you know i need an attorney she goes well i'll loan you the money which is a miracle so um i i leave there and i go to my friend's house and i said i don't know if i'm gonna go to that five thirty meeting or not today and then something said go to the damn meeting so i got up and i went to the meeting and somebody in that meeting said something about this attorney that was sitting there and i looked and it was that attorney on the front of that damn magazine yeah And I said, be damned. And he was in court with me. And so we got to talking. And, you know, whenever I went to talk to him, we knew so many people, so many people. And I'm just privileged to have that. And here's the deal. I've got to be willing to listen. And during this time, you know, I still had to go to this Shreveport Behavioral thing once a week with all these new people that don't give a shit about alcoholics anonymous don't go to meetings and they all hate us and that's okay. So I I go there every week and I was going to graduate and um, anyway when I was there I graduated on the fifteenth. Well I go and it's my responsibility I have nobody be mad at but myself because I decided to trust you and so I went in there and I gave my urine just handed it to him didn't pay attention. And they called me when I was at my mother's and said, there's a problem with the drug test. And I said, there can't be. I know they haven't done anything. And they said, yeah, well, come on in. So I came in on Monday and they said, and listen, when I hung up that phone, me and my mother was sitting there and I said, she said, we're going to get a hair follicle test. And so I went and I paid $350 out of my pocket for a hair follicle test. And so I can't keep. I'm trying to make amends and trying to fix this wreckage of my past, but I keep having these other bills come up, too. What the hell do you do? But you just do it, you know, if you just put one foot in front of the other. So I went and did that hair test, and I had to wait for 10 days for it to come back. So I went in there, and I talked to that lady, and this is how I handled that. My first thought was, whenever she told me that, is I'm going to go blow that building up, and I'm going to flatten your tires. I'm going to have somebody steal your car and maybe kill your children. I'm not sure (laughs) which. And then pretty I pretty much called, cover the
3: whole yeah. get it all done. Yeah. yeah. And so then total I total annihilation.
1: Maybe I should just call my sponsors. Before that. Yeah. <laughs> Before that, you have those other thoughts. Yeah. You hear me? I mean, like if you're you you got to I mean, there's no no, nah, bitch, I'm getting a hit man. I know all these people. <laughs> We're taking you out. And so I called my sponsor and I said, Listen, this test came back and she walked me through that and so I went and did that test and I had to wait for ten days and that was the longest damn ten days of my life. And so I waited, and I went and talked to my attorney, did all that shit. and um, But when I was standing there talking to her, I said, listen, I'm not mad at you. I said, uh, we're all fallible. We all do things wrong. I'm not blaming you. I'm here, um, and I will do what I need to do. But I know for a fact that I did not do that. Unless I have a split personality and I have Alice that escaped and she went and party without me, then I'm going to be pissed off because I didn't enjoy it. You weren't there. You yeah. weren't there. I mean, how the hell did that happen? So supposedly I had cocaine and marijuana in my body, but I did not. So I did that test, and it came back completely negative of everything. And so then I had to turn around (laughs) and do it again. So I did it twice, you know. But then I was scared to come to Alcoholics Anonymous because I was thinking, how can I go in there and keep claiming that I have 11 months if somebody tell me that I have this in my body? You know what I'm saying? And so I felt like a uh, liar for a minute. And I told my sponsor, how do I do this? And she said, you know, you didn't do that. Just go in there and keep doing it. And see, what had happened, though, was that I was kind of judgmental. That always gets me in trouble. Because somebody else had similar problems that. And I said, that shit don't come back wrong. Your ass probably did that shit. Mm. Do not do that shit because it's going to come back and hit you in the ass. (laughs) (laughs) So there I was. And so... I learned a valuable lesson not to be judgmental one more time. And I, I've been going back. And I, you know, she uh, felt a little uncomfortable and said, Hey, do you just want to do private? And I said, No, I want to go back in there because this is what Alcoholics Anonymous taught me. I want to go back in there with those people because they're trying to get sober. And I want them to know that they can walk through anything. And even if something is not okay, that you can still hold your head up and be okay. And so I want them to know that I'm not ashamed of who I am or what I'm doing, and so I went, and I truly do believe that. And so um, I come to those meetings. I don't think that I have the. I don't think I have anything special to say. Somebody's going to say what I want to say during that meeting somewhere along the way. You hear me? Hey, hey, Same here. Yeah. Same here. But there are times that I feel like I just want them to hear the solution. I beg them to hopefully have it, and I went to Uprising. Um, on the 24th, and I said, 24th, I landed in jail, people. And what I want you to hear is this, that those steps are up there for a reason. I'm not here to tell you what kind of God to have. You can have Buddha, you can have this, you can have that. You can have anything you want. But if you want sobriety, you've got to be willing. You've got to surrender. First off, I had to come to terms that I was truly an alcoholic. Once I truly finally admitted that, this year has been different than the seven years that I had. Mm -hmm. I don't forget about those seven years, but they're kind of irrelevant. That's my past. I don't regret my past. I don't wish to shut the door on it. I will share anything that I have with you, anything that I have walked through. But I'm not going to go in Alcoholics Anonymous and tell you all my shit because it's really not there for that. It's really there for me to share you know, in a general way, what it used to be like. What happened and what it's like now. And if just one person hears something, and I have to remind myself of that sometimes, because sometimes when I listen to somebody, I'm like, oh, hell, I want to hear that shit. But there's somebody in that room that needs to mm. hear that shit. So who am I to say that, you know?
3: You never know where it's going to come from. You never and who know. who it's going to come from. and That's right. You know, so.
1: Maybe it's not me today, but I am happy
3: to. I don't think I've ever been in an AA meeting where I didn't hear it may be one sentence, but it stuck with me, or that day I needed to hear it, and I may have forgotten it now, yeah. but that day it was like, man, I'm glad I came in here. And I may have yeah. been tired and aggravated and didn't want to be there, yeah. but then something clicked, you know. That's right. So. And um, I will
1: tell you this, you know, whenever you invited me to come over here, here was my deal. So all the time I've been coming here, I mean, I love you, Matt. But I was kind of, and I'm usually. Listen, they used to call me the governor when I was out there because you didn't rip my ass off. I would come after your ass. <laughs> you understand me? People knew that I was coming for you. But I get an alcoholic snormous, and Mike scares the fuck out of me. And then Jill, I'm like, oh shit, Jill doesn't really. Mike's
3: a me. numchuck freak. I mean, he could kill you with numchuck. the second That's person this week I heard say that. It's just,
1: just weird. I know.
3: Yeah, it's kind of weird. Huh? What did Jill do? It, Jill Jill's just, scary. She, Jill she's just scary. is
1: just to herself, but, you know, I just don't. Yeah, you know, <laughs> she probably don't really care for me. And, That's nonsense. But she's kind of quiet, you know, and, I'm, and and like, so I come up and give everybody a hug, right? I go by Mike. I go, hey, Mike. <laughs> and I'm like, do I give that motherfucker a hug not? <laughs> I'm not
3: sure. You so need I to hug him. On, if he needs hugs. I just hugs. keep on
1: walking. <laughs> then, if Jill looked at me, I'll go, hey, Jill. So, um, yeah.
3: So, so I have, since we started doing this, I have more questions. Like, nobody gives a crap that me and Mike are on here. People always go, hey, can you let Jill talk more? We want to hear from Jill, you yeah. know. And I'm like, yeah. I mean, that's what we're here to do, you know. That's right. Everybody's interested in Jill because she's quiet. But, she uh, is. But uh, I love
1: you. I just want to hear more about, <laughs> listen, you're, you just kind of keep, I like it when you share.
2: Thank I you. Wish you would
1: share more because there's not a lot of women in there that share a lot, mm-hmm. and we need that. Sure. I, mean, I really believe that we really truly, if we're not sharing. Get the solutions there. How the hell are they ever gonna get the solution? Yeah.
3: No, exactly. So my mother and I've told Jill this, but my mother listens to our podcast and every time I you know, I talk to her once a week or whatever and she goes, So I listen to this. Now Jill is doing and I'm like, Hey, you know me, I'm your son, I'm on there too. <laughs> and she's like, Yeah, but ask Jill if you know, and I'm like, Mom, you know, okay. She's so she likes Jill, you know. I so love it. anyway, um, yeah, it's uh it's pretty funny, but so we had a question and I'm going to tie this in. We had I had somebody text me. Okay, this so we anonymous. this this is our audience interaction. Audience interaction right here. Okay. I'm going to just read what they what they sent me. Um from an anonymous person. I have a question. I'm not sure if y'all have already covered. How do you deal with drinking culture in media whether it be music, movies, memes, or does that not really affect your recovery? Uh, and he, and uh, he said, I don't know if that's a dumb question or not, but I know a lot of the music I listen to certainly glorifies alcohol and other substances. So we have somebody here that's celebrating a year, especially in early uh, sobriety. That, that kind of stuff can kind of freak you out if you, you get out of treatment. I know it did with me. Um And I'm asking, and they wanted all of us to answer. So, uh, whoever wants to go first. um.
1: I will go first. I'll tell you since I'm the newest one at this group is, um, you know, when you first get to Alcoholics Anonymous, it's a little hard to um, listen to things like that. If you're in spiritual fit condition, it plainly states that in the book. When you're in spiritually fit condition, you can go anywhere that you want to go. You can do anything you want to. But for me, I, I kinda tended to stay away from glorifying drug use and alcohol music. But now I there's certain songs and stuff that I just love, you know, there's certain mm-hmm. music that I love to listen to. But I'm okay. Because I've taken care of myself that day, I I get up and I do, I pray, I talk to my sponsor, I go to meetings, then it's just not that big of a damn deal. I could walk into Thrifty Liquor right now. Now, am I going to do that every day to test myself? Hell to the no. But if I have a reason to do it, and me and my daughter, prime example, we went to see Ed Sheeran. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the first concert that we went to, and um, I was like, man, I, should I go or should I not go? It was the best damn concert ever, but I went for the right reasons. I was with my daughter, and I love the damn music, so hell yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's what I do.
3: If you saw my playlist in recovery, you would say, he's not in recovery. But uh, it was not same the same playlist year. four years ago. <laughs> that's right. My first year, I was I was freaking out. It was like, hey, I don't need to but today and i was talking to another member of our thing about this the other day we were working and we had the tunes on man we were driving and i looked over at him and i said a lot of this is horrible like i shouldn't be probably listening to this but i like it and it doesn't affect today i enjoy the music and i take it for what it is and uh you know that type thing is not that big of an issue today and not that I listen to that type stuff all the time. I listen to other things too. and I love music. So, and it doesn't matter to me, um, really literally any type of music, um, except air supply, Roger, I don't listen to air supply if he's listening, but, um, yeah, I, you know, uh, I can, I can tell though there's some times where, um, I probably don't need to be listening to certain things when I'm in certain moods, but, um, but it is very important early on you know to set a tone for and i'll tell this story real real quick with my sponsor he's got a little speaker we're in his boat fishing right he brings this little speaker bluetooth speaker bluetooth speaker yeah gotcha. puts it in the boat he's like we're listening to music today first time we would ever done it it's all k-love for about 10 hours it's just stuff off you know and i'm fishing and he's up there jamming okay and I'm the, thinking, the can I drown myself in a boat? You know, I love my sponsor, but how bas- can I
0: accidentally how hook can I, that spear? Is there an
3: alligator nearby, nearby I can throw my body in front of? Okay, I'm just being real. No, yeah. oh, I get it. So get it. Get we're it. we're all the way, and he keeps telling me, you know, you don't need to listen to that crap. Uh, you know, you need to listen to positive stuff. And I'm like, yeah, maybe so. I mean, I, you're talking to a guy. I was listening to Metallica while we were driving over here. Well, That's how count. I roll. So, so. Uh, We've, this is like eight hours of this, oh and there's nowhere no. to go. Yeah, I was thinking, if he, cranks, if he cranks the outboard, I'll just throw myself into the prop, you know, something. So we get all the way almost to the end, and he goes, the last song, this is the last song and we're leaving, and I'm going, thank you, God. And then I hear Free Bird from Leonard Skinner comes on, and it's about 12 minutes long. All day, K-Love music, last song. And I was like, yeah, he is my sponsor, and he's up there jamming. And I'm like, okay, I can... We'll end it Ooh, on a positive note.
2: Uh, I couldn't have handled it.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: So, um, you know, as far as that kind of stuff uh, that we're talking about, as far as uh, triggers, because those can be some of the biggest triggers. Whether it be and it's, it's sensory triggers, things that you hear, things that you see. These can be, you know, a very
3: ex-wives. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Big trigger. Well, sorry. It,
2: those kind of things like music and TV and whatnot can be horribly triggering, triggering for a lot of people. And, um, the deal is like, I still, to this day, you will not catch me watching fear and loathing in Las Vegas. You will not catch me watching uh, Scarface or Requiem for a dream. I just can't watch it. Now music, that's a whole nother deal. My playlist is, is very questionable. Um, to be honest with you. And, Just like you mentioned before, it's all about my spiritual condition. You know, I've been to places where I've gone to concerts and every concert in sobriety, I've gone with a group of sober people because guess what's at concerts, alcohol and and drugs, drugs, Drugs. and um, especially in Colorado. Um, So I cover my ass in those kind of situations um, and always have an out. Always having out, but you know the music never did affect me. Um, but the movies will still do so. But it's not—it's not that I want to use. I just don't want to see that stuff anymore. It just doesn't. I'm, it disgusts me. Yeah.
3: You know what bothers me more than anything—the show intervention. Yeah. I don't want to watch. I can't hardly watch the part before. Oh yeah. But I like seeing the legacy part where they. Show them flipping the computer in their three years, you know. Yeah, that part yeah. I like. I can't even hardly that show watching is incredibly triggering
1: for a lot of people because yeah. it's showing.
3: Isn't that weird though? Showing uh, them
1: using, buying, and doing everything. Yeah, and and I I'm, and I'm gonna tell you this: like whenever I went to that courtroom that day. I can bet your ass when I came out of there, I did not put on Jelly Roll or some shit that I like to listen to. I decided at that point that I might want to listen to some Kurt Franklin or something like that. I have several different pray lists because I was not in good spiritual fit condition because I was ready to kill somebody. So I don't need to be listening to killing people when I'm thinking about killing people. Yeah, and I talk
2: about this a lot <laughs> with my clients, you know, about... You know, what's appropriate as far as music and in moods and all. That's right. Because the last thing I need to be doing if I'm angry is driving around listening to, uh, you know, like angry music that's just going to continue to uh, anger me and
1: right. get me in a... Marilyn Manson or something when you're pissed off. It's probably not good. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Marilyn Manson probably isn't stuff. good at any time, but, you know, no, whatever no. mood
1: but whatever mood you're in i mean i love rock and roll i love metallica i love uh you know jelly row talks a lot about damn addiction but at the same time he may sing something like save my life or something you know sure but there's times that i can handle it and then there's times when i'm not doing good that i need to listen to some different kind of music Mm -hmm.
0: well speaking from my my own experience I, i can tell you this that i got sober in june of 2011 And uh, somewhere in 2012, the movie 21 Jump Street came out with um, the Channing fella and Jonah Hill. And uh, me and my son, I took my son. This is one of our first real outings together where we went somewhere and did something. He'd been dying to see this movie. And I guess he was around 13, 14 years old at the time. So we went to go see this movie down at the boardwalk. And there's a scene in the movie where they're taking shots i mean just taking shots and this is it maybe a little over a year i'm gonna guess that and while i'm watching these guys take these shots i can feel it i'm i start to sweat i start to get scared and then lightning struck by the movie theater and the power went out Hmm. during that scene wow so i did not see that movie until it came out on at the time dvd you know streaming was you know in its infancy so I, I didn't go back and watch it because i knew where it took me and i did not want to go there um you know that first and i don't know how long the the caller has been sober but when i was uh um, living in west monroe i would imagine i moved there in 2016 so that gives me about five years into the sober thing right and someone told me to watch the movie Leaving Las Vegas. So I sat down on my couch and I rented it. I was alone and I watched it. And about halfway through it, I couldn't watch it anymore because it took me to a place that I didn't need to go. And that's at five years sober. Mm-hmm. So anything that takes me, my experience, I'm not giving advice. I do not do that. I go, I tell you what my experience is, right? Anything that takes me somewhere I do not want to go, I do not listen to or do. My recovery has to come first in everything. And we hear that a lot in the meetings. And, and some people take it and run with it. And some people don't quite understand what recovery in everything means. If my job takes me to a place that I don't need to go, I don't need to do that job. Absolutely. Me. I, I, you know, again... But, on the other hand, I uh, listen to some, some white zombie while I'm driving, and it takes me to a speed limit. I don't need to go. Correct. So, flip the switch, and I put on some Johnny Cash, and I'm not going any damn slower.
3: Yeah, Exactly
0: but there are you know obviously the sensory you know that that Jill talked about there are things in our mind that go off some remind us of where we've been i don't need to go there i've been there i visited it's great but i'm not going to live there right mm-hmm. and and some can take us where we want to go and i choose today to do those things that are going to take me where i want to go And if I see something and that's in, um, I've got a little over 12 years sober and still to this day, if there is something, I, let's just say drama, Mm. just, just in everyday life, just drama. If it takes me somewhere, I don't want to go, then it's going to be removed from my life. It's, it's just not going to exist. And that's coming from anywhere, you know, and I had to learn these lessons the hard way, but year six was really tough for me. Because I allowed my emotions to come in and take over the AA training because I thought I had it, right? I don't want to go back to day one and I don't want to go back to year six. So handling those things is if that situation, if that music, and Batman used to say it best he would take a whole nother route home because his normal home route used to take him by honky tonk. He used to go honky tonk. (laughs) He used to go dancing at or a dance hall. He called it a dance hall, (laughs) but he would take a whole nother route home. And so I'm trying to better myself and my, my, especially that first year. I mean, I was, I was like, going to a meeting every day no matter what i was running or walking you know depending, four miles a day i was going to work seven days a week to occupy my time and in the meantime i didn't none of those things hurt me
1: Mm-mm.
0: none of them right i was doing those things that headed me in a direction that i needed to go because i didn't want to go back so if i'm driving down the road today and something comes on the radio and it reminds me of a time and i start living in nostalgia right in that negative time period because i'm sorry but there is some air supply songs that were popular before (laughs) i was drinking and i like to listen to them but if it brings me back to a place i don't want to go then i'm not going to do that that's how i handle it and that's just from my own personal experience but we are about out of time guys lisa can i say one more sure go ahead
1: One thing that I really want to talk about is because, you know, like, we all get together, me and my daughter and somebody in recovery, and we were all laughing about the good times that we had, okay? But you can't stay there. If you talk about it too long, it's not a pretty picture. You've got to follow that through. Remember, don't ever forget that last drunk Mm -hmm. that you had because if you ever forget that, it's a scary place to be, and I never want to forget that. That's it. I really love y'all. Thanks for Thank you for coming Thank on. You.
0: Look forward to having you back again. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Yes. Congratulations. Absolutely. It Her- feels
1: good. <laughs> and it looks good. <laughs> Thank
0: you. Yep. I'm Mike for the grouch and the brainstorm. Signing off.